everyone. My name is Grace Beatty, and welcome to Wicked Women, the podcast. On this podcast, I will be discussing with leading experts some of history's most infamous and maligned women. Within each episode, I do not look to excuse or dispute the wrongs committed by some of these women, but I do strive to bring a more holistic and rounded understanding of each particular woman's story. Step back in time and come on this journey with me as we discover the lives and legacies of these fascinating women. In today's episode, I will be discussing Elise Odesson Jensen, a leading advocate in Sweden for women's reproductive rights and a co-founder of International Planned Parenthood. Discussing Elise's life and legacy with me today will be Helen Irwin, an author whose book Sour Milk in Sheep's Wool focuses on Elise's era of activism. Continue listening to learn more. Planned Parenthood divided and continues to divide American society to this day. But the organization that has become synonymous in the U.S. with birth control and abortion did not begin as an American company, but as a global enterprise headed by strong and outspoken women. The International Planned Parenthood Federation, founded in 1953, was the first of its kind and founded with the help of one of Europe's leading women's activists, Elise Otteson Jensen. But to understand this climactic achievement in Elise's life, we have to go back to the beginning. Elise Otteson was born in Norway in 1886 to Emanuel Otteson and Karen Eisendorp. Elise was the 17th out of 18 children, 11 of whom survived into adulthood and grew up in a rural village where her father was a Lutheran pastor. In 1931, Elise, closely involved with the socialist movement in Sweden, married fellow activist Albert Jensen. Around the time of her marriage, Elise's youngest unmarried sister, Manghild, became pregnant and was sent away by their father to give birth in secrecy. Elise and her siblings had been taught nothing about sex or childbirth, and Elise later remembered how terrified her younger sister had been. Manghild was disgraced by her village and was committed to a mental asylum in the 1930s after her child died. She committed suicide shortly after. Elise never forgave her father for the harsh treatment her sister had received, and Manghild became a driving force behind Elise's later work. Helen Irwin discusses the stigma attached to unwed mothers during Elise's early life. She spoke often of the constant fear for women, the, the constant fear women had of getting pregnant, and the thousands of back alley abortions that women died of. And um, also she spoke of the, the stigma for unwed mothers. And something that I find important with Elisa's story is that she also spoke of married women who were also constantly scared of getting pregnant and because they were worn down by too many births and uh, exhausted from caring for too many children and she was one of she had at least herself had 17 siblings and only 11 of them survived into adulthood so she knew how exhausting this was for women. And I think that is very important too, that you talk about 
you know, reproductive freedom within a marriage, because that's not often spoken about. If you think of like my great grandmother's story and being unwed and not having access to birth control, but married couples who get, have a child every year and the, the economic strain on the household and the exhaustion. At that time, women were supposed to be virgins. That was just the norm. And the people expected women to be virgin and that had to do with their honor as a woman. If you go back to earlier times when they were talking about uh, the suffrage movement, they, they spoke of how their strength as mothers was why they should vote in the first place. And then to bring in contraceptives, there were all these rumors at that time as well that women who wanted suffrage wanted, wanted to become men, they wanted to vote, they were going to take over the world. And to then also speak of birth control and planning their pregnancies, it was, it was very controversial even for them and they didn't know what want to mud the waters. There were there was a lot of talk about um, men, just if I can be blunt, they said men just ridding, them, ridding themselves of their seed was a common expression and then leaving the woman. And then she'd lost her honor. She was technically not legally marriageable anymore. Yeah, there was a concern that if a man would just you know, take advantage of them and say, look, 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 let's have sex, then we'll get married. And then he would leave because he would feel, oh yeah, she's using birth control. So why would I, why would I wait until marriage? Then it's not necessary anymore. And uh, society at that time was very much built upon, you know, straight couples, husband and a wife being married. And so looking at it like that, you can kind of see their reasoning a little more. By the 1920s, Elise and Albert were living in Sweden. During this time, Elise started her work around sexual and reproductive rights. In 1923, Elise published her first article, urging parents to have open and honest conversations with their children about sex and sexuality. She began traveling around Sweden, giving lectures about contraceptives, abortions, gay rights, and how women could achieve sexual pleasure. With each speech, Elise risked severe fines and legal punishment, but her voice became a comforting and guiding presence to many women during this time. Here's Helen. Elise started speaking publicly about birth control uh, in 1923, and it was still illegal then. And uh, it was illegal until 1938. And when she spoke about it, she uh, held lectures and she even helped women try out diaphragms afterwards, either in the back of uh, lecture halls or in, uh, in cars or in, um, even in outhouses. So just imagine doing that when you know it's even illegal to talk about birth control. And she spoke about it. She was, very, she was a very um, dynamic, outspoken public speaker and um, well-liked, even though this was still very, very controversial, but she made people very comfortable when she spoke about this. And she, she founded RFSU, Sweden's Sexual Education Association, in uh, 1933. So she was truly a pioneer who was incredibly brave. However, 
Elise was not an anomaly, but one of countless people within a movement demanding more knowledge and freedom around birth control. By the time she became involved in activism in the 1920s, she had many strong predecessors. What really stands out to me is Hinke Bergegren's lectures. He held lectures in Stockholm in 1910 in uh, Stockholm's community hall. And he held one meeting for women and one, one lecture for women rather, and one lecture for men. And he called them Love Without Children. And he spoke in, uh, in detail about different contraceptives and also about infant mortality, especially in the poorer households with lots of children. And he said, it's better to have love without children than having children without love. And that was extremely controversial at that time. It was considered indecent and so much that he was arrested and jailed. And there was a law put in place named for him called Lex Hinke, which meant that it then became illegal to spread what they then called propaganda about uh, contraceptives. So that really tells you how brave Elise was when she started uh, to, to speak publicly about uh, reproductive freedom or reproductive justice and contraceptives. And yeah, so to me, that really stands out what he did because you really get an image of how controversial he was. And even though for us, it's like very polite, two lectures, one for women and one for men, it was too indecent. And it's 1910, it's not that long ago. The movement that Elise worked tirelessly to bring to Sweden quickly expanded to other parts of the world. In 1946, as chairman of the Swedish Association for Sexual Education, or known as RFSU, Elise held the first conference for the International Planned Parenthood Federation. International Planned Parenthood was formally founded in 1952 in Bombay, India, with Elise in attendance. Another woman present at the conference in Bombay was Margaret Sanger, the person who would bring Planned Parenthood to the United States. It was at this point that Elise Otteson Jensen came to more prominence outside of Sweden. Here is Helen discussing Elise's role in Planned Parenthood. She uh, co-founded International Planned Parenthood. So that's something that people don't know much about. Uh, but that really, I think, puts her on the international stage of how important she was. I think she is very much responsible for changing the way people looked at sexuality and all of this. And when I grew up, it wasn't considered very controversial at all. I'm born in 1968 and she died in 73. You know, it was, it's natural. It's, it's not it's not controversial. So it was interesting to read about the early history in Sweden at the turn of the 20th century and see how similar it is to some parts of the United States today, actually, which I find very, very interesting. It's quite surprising. Uh, abortion, for example, is seen more as a way that you should be prepared to take care of a child, make sure you're a capable parent, who can nurture this newborn before you have a child. And here in the United States, it's more of a women's rights issue. You know, it should be a choice. And of course it should be a choice, but it's an interesting way of looking at the, the difference 
Elise continued to dedicate her life to sexual education and reproductive rights well into her 80s. She passed away in Sweden in 1973 at the age of 87. Her name has become inextricably linked with the reproductive rights movement. Here is Helen on Elise's legacy in Sweden specifically. People are saying that it was her life's calling. She had wanted to be a dentist, but there was a, actually, but there was an explosion in the laboratory, so she lost several fingers. And then she became a journalist and she was writing about sexuality and, and women and things like that. And, you know, then it became her life's calling to, to have a more nurturing, I would say, sexual experience and for children to be welcomed into families that truly wanted them. And um, she's still spoken about and with fondness in Sweden, even though she started off and it was, again, very controversial. What makes Elise unique in this podcast series is that in Sweden, she is predominantly a popular figure, while throughout the rest of the world, she has been largely forgotten. But the movement she helped found in the 1950s has continued to divide societies. As Helen points out, If I spoke, uh, speak about abortion specifically, I think there's a misconception that women use it as a form of birth control. And I think there's also on the flip side a misconception that it is a very, very traumatizing event and an incredibly hard decision to make and something that causes grief and feelings of regret afterwards. And I think women have more agency than that. I think women can, you know, make a decision to use birth control and they can make it, or we, I should say, can make a decision to, uh, if it's the right time to have a child or not. And also, I think there's a lot of misinformation about how an early pregnancy looks. And I think that's very damaging to the movement as well. Yeah, for example, the law, the recent law that you can't have an abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. Like many women don't even know they're pregnant at that point. You know, that's one of the misconceptions of, and the law is written by men who may know less than women about how, how a pregnancy look at that early stage and you know, they're talking about killing babies, but they're cells. I think it's a way for the extreme right to galvanize support because it can be seen as an emotion, as an, an emotional issue. And then that coupled with religion, I think, I think is one of the reasons why it's so polarizing. Uh, Sweden is a lot more secular you know, and um, so it's it. religion isn't really, I mean, in some circles, certainly, but generally speaking, uh, religion isn't much part of the discussion. And I think that's also where you see how the discussion is more about being a capable, nurturing parent, other than that it's a morally wrong thing to have an abortion. And I'm very curious to see how it would be here if it was framed in this way. And... I, I always think of this, we have dogs, and uh, when we adopted one of our dogs at North Shore Animal League, there was a sign out in the waiting room, and it said, are you ready for this 15-year commitment? And I always think of this. It is, 
imagine it's a child, it's a 18, 21 year old, a year long rather, 18 to 21 year long commitment to take care of a child or more. Are you ready for that? Alisa's activism and organizations can speak to generations of women about the agency each of us possesses. For Helen, she believes Elisa's legacy going forward can be summed up in Elisa's own words. Her motto, I think, is so beautiful. She said, I dream of the day when every newborn child is welcome, when men and women are equal, and sexuality is an expression of intimacy, joy, and tenderness. And here she means that, you know, babies should be born to people who plan for and want them, not because there was no access to birth control or information about birth control. And I think using her own motto and tying her to that motto, I would really, really like that to be her legacy. Really to understand that parenthood, and I love the name Planned Parenthood, that it's a something that you plan for because you want to be able to nurture a child, somebody that you're longing for. And, and also that sexuality isn't something you should be ashamed of and that it is a natural thing between human beings, something that we do to show love for each other. 